Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Thrive Co-Living podcast and YouTube broadcast. Thrive Co-Living is a new concept in creative community building. Sustainable, multicultural, multi-generational, and inclusive, Thrive Co-Living communities are built from repurposed big box stores or other suitable buildings. In this series, myself, Jennifer Hooper, and Thrive founder, Mark Stein, will weave together the tapestry that makes up the physical and spiritual components of this new concept in community living. Now on with the show. Welcome everybody to the Thrive Co-Living YouTube podcast. Uh, before I introduce our guest today, let me do a plug for Tesla, um, one of my favorite, uh, actually my favorite company probably ever. want to do a shout out for them. At this time, on the 22nd of September, they're doing a big announcement that they've been referring to as Battery Day, where they're going to make some revelations about uh, battery, probably a million mile battery. Uh, for the Cybertruck and the, the semis. But uh, as any of you know who've been following the podcast, sustainability is one of our core values. And my hope is that we'll have Tesla charging stations at, uh, at the facility, preferably with solar panels to uh, charge the, the batteries. And um, so I wanted to give a shout out to Tesla and wish them well with this new uh, revelation here. And then also, uh, I'll get rid of the Tesla hat because of the terrible color combination, but I'll also plug the Thrive Co-Living t-shirts. You can get them in the gear store on the Thrive website, and that's at thrivecolivingcommunities.org. And you'll look much better in this shirt than I do, but uh, get it. And we've got all sorts of things, all the way to jumpers for kids, face masks with Thrive on it, so you can survive in style uh, and sustainably with the face mask. I think we even have a, a dog warm-up, a dog uh, hoodie uh, with Thrive on it. So let me introduce our guest today, Connor Moore. Uh, he is a recent MBA graduate. He's been in school a long time, uh, focusing on and with a passion for co-living. Um, he recently has started his first facility gig at, in a co-living community in New York, and we'll get more from him on that. But we've had a conversation and uh, really uh, gelled on a lot of different levels, so I was anxious to have him on the podcast. So. Welcome, Connor, and thanks for being with us. Yes, thanks so much for having me, Mark. Certainly looking, uh, looking forward to a great discussion. Great. So let's start out with, your, with the background and what first grabbed you about co-living, and then you know, take, us, take us through uh, your work thus far and your new gig. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I guess my interest in co-living first started when I um, finished up undergrad. I graduated in 2015 from Duke University, and um, I went and did um, what really amounts to uh, a year where I was working and, um, and living abroad. So I was on the working holiday visa in New Zealand and Australia, 
And so I was living in a lot of shared living communities there. And I thought, this is a really good way to live, right? We, you know, make meals together, go on weekend trips. And so I was kind of thinking that um, th this, this sounds like a really interesting model. And so when I looked it up, I was kind of, oh, okay, it's called co-living. So it had always been in the back of my mind for a long time. Um, but I really got to take a deep dive into the industry this past summer um, when I was in between my first and second year of business school and had the chance to get a research grant from the university, the Asia School of Business, and um, travel the world of co-living. So I got to see co-living operation, operations in New York, in San Diego, Los Angeles, San Francisco, and um, in Bali. And then throughout the year, I got to go all over Southeast Asia, which was an absolute blast um, to see operators in Hong Kong, Singapore, India, really all over. Um, and so I think my kind of passion for, for shared living is kind of um, uh, really flourished in the past year as far as what I've been able to see and who I've been able to chat with. Um, and so after, after graduating, um, I've now um, officially joined the co-living industry. So um, actually working for a few different companies instead of just doing the research, which has been awesome thus far. Um, but I just moved to New York, as you mentioned, um, about a month ago. And I've been living and working in a co-living um, location here, working for Outpost Club, um, which is an operator here in New York. And that's been a re really a lot of fun to really see the front lines of co-living, right? So from the operational day-to-day -to, -day to, you know, community events and all, all of those kinds of things. Uh, but then as well, I also just joined um, a company called Nomos Group Holdings. Um, and it is an investment firm that is specifically focused on um, financing um, co-living companies and uh, like co-living buildings. So um, it's been a lot of fun to kind of see the very, very different sides of co-living from how do you fundraise for a building and how do you finance, you know, the actual asset and the actual uh, real estate um, all the way to the front lines of how you, um, you know, kind of the day-to-day -day operations of a, of a co-living establishment. So um, certainly excited to really learn as much as I can um, in, in the next few years in co-living. And um, I think the different um, kind of opportunities that I've been able to take advantage of will um, set me up to learn as much as I can. Well, that's a great gig that you landed uh, last year, and we may have to bring you on to do some fundraising. If you're that resourceful to get a, that kind of grant, to be able to, uh, to do that, that research and travel so wild, widely, and fortunately it happened when it did, since it would have been shut down just a few months later, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Feel like um, our, our like graduation got cut a little short, but certainly feeling lucky now uh, that I was able to get all of that travel in before the world kind of turned upside down uh, about mid-March. So um, was it was and ended up being great timing for me and um, was excited to get to travel the world of co-living when I when I had the chance to. So let's talk about some of the things that you saw and learned. Uh, you also have a blog. Um, so and, and a website. So I'll be sure to, at the end, get all these websites, the two that you just mentioned in your blog, we'll be sure to announce those and we'll put them in the show notes. But um, so what, what did you see? What struck you the most? I know you went to a lot of different places. So maybe just pick out a few highlights to start with. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the things that was really interesting was seeing all the different executions of co-living. Um, so I think co-living kind of is used right now as a, this kind of umbrella term um, that I think has a lot of different kind of subsectors that are solving different problems. Um, so for example, all of the places that I went to in Bali and then in Chiang Mai as well, 
they were more um, kind of solving the problem of the, or like really on the wave of the trend of work from home. Um, so kind of the digital nomads being able to work from wherever you want. Um, if, if I don't need to be in an office, should I work from, you know, my hometown or should I, you know, fly to Bali for four to six months or a year or whatever it might be and check out a new place. And so I think a lot of um, millennials, especially, and I think a lot of um, uh, like Gen Zers that are, that are, that are coming on board as well. I think work and um, you know, kind of location are, are, are like starting to separate even more. Right. And so I think the co-living companies that are solving that problem, um, they're obviously the, the way they build their buildings are different um, and the way they execute their concept is different. Right. Um, but then you look at a lot of the operators that I saw that were more kind of longer term stays. So it's, you're like living in a urban area and you're, you know, not satisfied with the traditional living solutions, right? So whether that's a suburban home or a, or a traditional urban apartment, um, co-living can one, I think, you know, kind of come in and uh, remove a lot of the frictions around that, right? So moving to a new place, buying a lot of your own furniture, you know, not having a flexible lease, um, a lot of these co-living operators have come on board and they said there hasn't been real innovation in the real estate industry for quite some time. And so I think there's all these different kind of, you know, co-living companies that are popping up and solving different problems, but they all come back to the fact that we need new living solutions for the 21st century, right? Um, so I think being able to travel around and see all the different concepts was, was fascinating, um, but obviously all of them are coming back to um, providing a living environment that's better suited for um, people from in 2020 and and moving forward. So, I think Bali may be the original co-living uh, space. Uh, what do you know about that? And do you know of any that precede it? I mean, I think they've been doing co-living on the coast and up in the mountains for 10, 20 years. Yeah, yeah. So I think when we kind of like de delineate where was the first co-living, um, you know, kind of um, space or or concept, it's kind of important to remember, I guess, that, you know, the the like concept of shared living. Um, and I, I, I guess co-living is the term for the kind of modern form of shared living that we're seeing across the world. Uh, but shared living obviously isn't new at all. You know, it's 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 been around for quite some time as far as, you know, living with people that is that are that are not in your family, right? Whether it dates back to you know, boarding houses or, you know, other kind of um, uh, living arrangements where it's saying, hey, we need, you know, kind of more people to live in this, in this building or in this environment. Um, and there tends to pop up this community around it um, because you have people living in, in, in such close quarters, right? Um, but to kind of answer your question directly, I think, you know, kind of looking at where the modern version of co-living started, I think it's probably hard to pinpoint down exactly where it is. Um, but when you look at, you know, kind of the almost a, like hostile end of the spectrum where it's, you know, kind of more transient populations, people that are traveling around a lot. Um, I think when, when you look at, you know, kind of modern, um, you know, uh, like high traffic, like uh, destinations in the world, such as Bali, um, I think maybe that's where the first kind of longer term hostels or kind of shared living houses, um, maybe those were the first ones that kind of started this kind of modern trend of, hey, wait a minute, you know, there's, there's something to this, this um, new version of shared living, right? Um, so I think you're, you're, you're exactly right. Bali may have been, you know, one of the, one of the first locations where the kind of modern version of co-living um, may, may have started. And with digital nomads, people traveling long distances, staying there 
uh, a longer period of time. Uh, you know, we had, you introduced me to Ajay Kumar and he was on the podcast and it, that may, what his model may have preceded what was going on in Bali because in India, there seems to have been a shortage of housing for students and singles of all types for quite a while. So it, that might predate it, but it doesn't, his description of it doesn't really feel like co-living in the modern sense, so. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and I think um, one of the things that, um, that, that that kind of brings up as well is that it's, you're, we're, we're kind of seeing that simultaneously, you know, across different cultures, across different continents, countries, um, there's this kind of new form of shared living that's, that's, that's popping up, right? And so I don't think it's an accident that it's kind of all happening at the same time. Um, and, and, and I think some of this goes back to some of the research that I did last summer, actually. And um, on, the, on the blog that you mentioned, it's called Co-Living Corner. I actually wrote this series that's called The Case for Co-Living. And so I think my biggest takeaway from that is that if you look at you know, how we live and where we live um, and how that's changed over the past few decades, whether that's in North America, South America, Europe, Asia, wherever, um, a lot of the changes have come from the adoption of smartphones and social media and the way that we interact with one another is changing rapidly, right? And so I think with those changes comes a, a necessitated change for the way that we live, right? And so I think um, the, the market's kind of finally catching up and saying, okay, the way we live since 2000, certainly since 1980, is completely different, right, in, in the year 2020. So everywhere across the world, all these different, you know, kind of new ways of living are popping up. Um, and I think it's because the accelerated kind of rate of change of, of, of how we live and where we live is, is just changing so rapidly that um, the, like in, in different cities and different countries across the world, they really have no choice but to come up with new, um, better living solutions. And so that's why it's a, it's a big reason that I believe we're seeing, you know, kind of simultaneously all of these different places um, innovate housing all at the same time. And maybe it has to do also with the fact that because of technology, we're not as different as we used to be, especially millennials, uh, younger than them as well. The next, is it Z that's below them? Mm -hmm. um, because we're sharing so many common experiences because of technology that we're, we're probably thinking more alike. So the solutions would be, and our situations are more alike. For example, all the, the tech folks that are younger people in India that pre-COVID wanted to live away from home, could live away from home. Uh, so their situation is probably not that different than it is here in the States. So it would make sense that it would, that, that more people would see the same solution. Let me ask you this too, and, um, and I'll preface it with uh, just my revelation that I got. So probably a year into researching co-living um, thinking about it, uh, all of a sudden I was introduced to the term co-housing, which, which had eluded me totally. And when I looked at that model, I mean, there's so many similarities. It started in the 1980s, uh, probably mid eighties. Why do you think, and, and now there's sort of a disconnect, I think, between the two. Um, so talk a little bit about uh, the research that you did in the co-housing, and it, 
it seemed like it was a big secret for a long time. And now we have something that's very similar, uh, but called something a little different. What, are your, what, are you, what do you see as the intersection between co-housing and co-living? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question, Mark. I, I think in general, um, when we're looking at, you know, kind of the, the, the bigger umbrella than co-living is, is kind of looking at shared living models, right? Um, so whether it's cooperatives or co-housing or co-living, um, I think the main idea is saying that, you know, in, in a lot of ways, the, the technology that we have today, social media, smartphones have brought us together. However, in a lot of ways, it's actually um, kind of separated us a bit, right? It's, you know, the loneliness epidemic, you know, there's suicide rates in, in, in a lot of countries have been skyrocketing for a while now. And I think it's no, no accident, right? So I think when you look at kind of that there's a larger kind of reinterest in a lot of these concepts, whether it's co-housing or co-living, I think it's a lot of people starting to raise their hand and say, hey, we want more connectivity. Um, we want more connectivity with and more human interactions, not only in the workplace and other aspects of our lives, but certainly in an aspect of our lives that's as big as where we live, right? You know, we, we, we spend a lot of time in our homes or apartments or whatever it is, right? And so so I think when that's, that's kind of the bigger picture, obviously, when, when you specifically look at co-housing, I think there's, you know, some of the differences might be the ownership models where co-living might be kind of like a, like a co-living operator. The co-housing might be the, the folks that are living there are actually financially invested, right? So maybe they actually own or co-own um, some of the actual um, land or the, or the buildings where they're at. Um, as well, I think co-housing kind of, um, at least at the moment, I think can kind of um, um, lend itself to another demographic, right? So co-living for, for, for right now, at least, most of what I've seen has been, you know, uh, millennial single living in urban areas across the world, right? And so, of course, there's been so many different, um, you know, kind of executions of that. And that's one of the things that I love most about Thrive um, is that it kind of, kind of goes off the beaten path a little bit of what we're seeing at the moment. Um, but I think co-housing, when, when you're looking at it, um, you know, maybe it can start to look at the age and the demographic of people that are looking at buying a home, right? They're, they're, they've um, been, been able to save enough or they're, they're, they're at a stage in their life where they're looking to live somewhere for the next you know, 10, 20, however many years, right? Um, one of the nice things about co-living is that it's flexible and you can move around. Co-housing, on the other hand, I think is more looking at longer term permanent communities. Um, which, which obviously gets me super excited, and I know you too, as Mark, as far as uh, looking at the community aspect, right? When you have people coming in and out of a community, it is great because you can meet new people. But as far as the longevity of developing friendships and you know almost family over you know five years, ten years, if you know you're going to have the same neighbor for for a longer time, you're more willing to invest more time in that relationship, right? And so I think. We could, I, I could probably go on for a while now about how much I uh, think, think co-housing has a place in the future of living as well. Um, but I think, you know, one of the main things looking at the longevity of the community um, is something that I think as we move forward, I think will be more needed and um, there'll, there'll be a higher demand for it from um, people across all different demographics um, across the market, so. Do you think millennials will ever want to own that's a really good question. So I, I think the, the, the like general trend we're seeing right now, right, and you, you look at a, a variety of different um, real estate reports, Cushman and Wakefield has a really good one on co-living. Um, the, the, the trends that they're seeing as far as, you know, millennials not wanting to own, 
you know, or valuing experiences over like material possessions, right? So there was, I think it was like 70% of millennials when they were um, in, in a survey said that they want to increase their spending on experiences in the next year, right? So I think that, you know, as millennials get older, I, I'm, I'm not on the train of thought that thinks, oh, millennials will never own homes. I, I think that that certainly will happen. Having said that, I think, you know, rising student debt and, you know, the 2008 crisis and now obviously the 2020 COVID crisis, I think, um, you know, kind of will, will delay millennial home ownership for a while, just as far as savings and financial situation goes. Um, but I certainly think once you, you know, start to have kids, millennials love having pets, they love having dogs, you do need that big backyard, right, or whatever it is. Um, so I think it will eventually happen. I don't think it'll happen at, at um, as high of rates as previous generations. Um, but I think millennials will slowly kind of um, hop on the whole uh, home ownership train here. But I guess it remains to be seen. When they get to be in their late 40s, early 50s, and decide to marry and have kids for the first time. Uh, maybe, <laughs> right, maybe. Who knows? Maybe they will. <laughs> exactly. Um, and th that one just came out of the blue. But I'm, and, and you're probably solidly in the millennial era. Uh, age yes, wise. I so, think so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, you've spent a lot of time and a lot of money on that MBA, uh, fostering an interest in the financial aspects uh, of life in general, of business, and specifically co-living. And I know that that's a passion of yours. Uh, what are some of your thoughts around that? Yeah, yeah, that's um, that's an awesome topic, and 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 I think in in some of the organizations that I'm in or like other discussions, the, the the kind of financial side of co-living almost gets pushed to the side, and honestly, for good reason because I'd much I'd much rather talk about, and I, th I think I'm more excited about the, you know, the way that it can improve living in the 21st century. Having said that, one of the first things you learn in any business, certainly in business school, is that if the numbers don't work out, right, if the funding and the, you know, kind of sustainability of the business as far as, as, far as its financial health. If that doesn't work out, you don't have a concept, right? And so I think it's been really interesting and I've attended a few conferences and other kind of um, talks that are, that are kind of looking specifically at funding co-living and, and looking at the actual business case. And I think um, obviously that, that part is powering the growth of co-living, right? So I think we're starting to see a lot of institutional real estate investors that are waking up and saying, wait a minute, this seems like more than just a, you know, a temporary, you know, kind of, kind of gig. It seems like a longer term trend, right? It might be its own um, real estate asset class, right? And so I think the whole idea there is, is, is basically looking at, um, and one of the examples that I, that I uh, heard recently that I, that, that I really enjoyed was kind of looking at in 1980, in the U.S. at least, when, when apartment buildings started to get built more often, right? So before that, it was all condos. But then it started being like, wait a minute, we, we can in increase density here, right? And so at that time, everyone was like, wait a minute, why are we building apartments? This seems crazy. Is this affordable housing? Is this, you know, like higher density? And so I think eventually people kind of understood that if you can take, you know, a building that would have 100 rooms and you can, you know, fit 120 people in there, um, obviously, you don't just want to pack them in, you want to have thoughtful design, um, you know, maybe smaller private areas, larger um, community areas, right? And so I think we're basically starting to see that trend again, where a lot of these cities, big cities across the world, whether it's Singapore or Hong Kong or Tokyo or LA or New York, um, really everywhere, it's like they're, they're kind of running out of space, right? And so 
one of the best examples is looking at uh, Los Angeles and a lot of their zoning laws, it's only for single multifamily homes. So demand has, is just skyrocketing to live in these cities, but there's a huge supply problem, right? And so co-living, I think, has a higher density solution can come in and say, hey, we can fit more people here, maybe be at a slightly lower price point, um, but end up making more money in the long run um, because of the increase in, in density, right? Um, and then I think, it, um, and I'll, uh, we, we can move on to something else. Again, I could probably talk about this for a while, but, but I think another kind of look from the financial side is looking at mixed use, right? Um, so this is something that I for sure want to chat about with Thrive, um, but I think looking at having like a residential building, not just be residential, right? So you can bring in, you know, you can bring in retail, you can bring in different coffee shops, you can bring in all of these different aspects to, to, to a larger urban environment that will create, you know, kind of a more diversified kind of financial offering that's saying we're not just co-living, we're not just retail, it's, it's kind of all of this combined. And I think you can, you know, start to have higher returns on that side because of the like different offerings that you have within the same concept. Uh, but anyhow, so I, I, I love chatting about the kind of financial side and one of the um, roles that I have right now is kind of really taking a deep dive into how exactly does the business model work? How is this providing larger returns than traditional apartments? Um, and so it's been, it's been fascinating to learn about and uh, certainly excited to see where it goes. Yeah, and uh, having uh, your artist loft studio down in the, on the first floor and live above it or your retail, I think, uh, I think that inc will encourage people to want to live the, where they work. Or, or just above it or, or in the vicinity. Um, so let's talk about those apartments for a little bit. Uh, the common, uh, the, the current batch of apartments. And uh, I live in part-time in Louisville, Kentucky and part-time, part easy for me to say, in St. Petersburg, Florida. And I, I think everywhere in the suburbs we're seeing these huge apartment complexes, they're usually four stories. Um, there are numbers of different buildings within the same complex. And that, that was one of the things that drew me to co-living because I, I can't, and, and they may have a rec room, they may have a uh, workout studio, they may have a pool with a clubhouse. And I, I haven't toured them, but I bet you nobody's interacting with each other, that they're all going into their own unit uh, from work. They're watching their own big screen TV and that, that very few of them know each other and that very little effort is going into trying to build a sense of community. I bet they're in and out. And uh, so, and to me, uh, that seems to be the trend, what I see mostly in these two cities anyway. Um, and it, it seems really sad to me and it would be very lonely. Uh, so what, do you have a perspective on what's going on there? Because there's this huge boom because of uh, tight uh, loan requirements. What, what's going on there and, and what's behind the curtain of those yeah. apartments? Yeah, yeah, great question. Um, so, so I think um, I actually read, read, read a few books almost on this exact topic uh, and they were fascinating reads last summer. Um, um, two of the ones in particular, one of them was called Bowling Alone 
Um, and the other one was called Vanishing Neighbor. Um, and so Bowling Alone uh, was by Robert Putnam, um, was kind of, uh, and, and obviously they don't have very cheery titles, right? <laughs> and so the like general thesis kind of, kind of looking at these books is saying, you know, the way that uh, it was, it was specifically looking at American societies, but I think you can kind of expand it to a lot of places across the world. Um, because of the changes in where we live and um, how we live, um, our community and, and, and kind of who we interact with and the way that we interact with people is changing drastically, right? So it used to be you moved to a new city and you had no choice but to knock on your neighbor's door and say, hey, how's it going? Let's play a game of pool outside or let's go to the local movie theater or bar or whatever it is, right? Nowadays with, with our cell phones, you know, you, you have the option to connect with anybody across the world at any time that you want, right? So instead of knocking on a random neighbor's door and saying, hey, let's go play pool, it's, I might FaceTime my friend from college for a while, right? Or I might hop on, a, on, on Instagram and just kind of scroll through or whatever it might be. And so we end up spending our time in these drastically different ways, right? And so um, what it ends up doing is while sure, it's great that now, now I have a choice of who I can talk to, um, obviously that's great that I can, you know, talk with my parents more often or best friends. No one's going to say that's a bad thing. However, our current living environments are not designed with that reality in mind, right? So when that, when, when these apartment buildings and when these traditional buildings were designed, you know, long hallways, kind of doors on each side, I think it's kind of interesting that that's the same design as jails. <laughs> um, and, 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 I, and I think it's kind of thinking about it and saying, okay, we have these like small little, not very connected rooms, right? And so I think while that may have worked, you know, 40 years ago, 60 years ago, even 20 years ago, um, nowadays, the way that we interact with each other has changed so drastically that we need new living solutions, right? So these four story apartment buildings that you might be talking about, um, most of them are like maybe looking at serviced apartment, right? So it is great, you have the pool, maybe you have the weekly event or whatever it is, um, but it needs to be way more intentional. It needs to be, I'm moving into this location and a part of the gig and part of my role is to meaningfully invest in the community and meaningfully invest in the relationships with others around me, right? And so as an operator, if you don't intentionally create an environment that has that, um, I think it won't happen, unfortunately. And, and so I think the onus is kind of on the, the, the operator and the apartment building to say, hey, we know that you guys secretly want this. We know that you want this face-to-face -face interaction. Um, and now we're really waking up to it and we're gonna create living solutions that will give you that. Um, so again, that's, that's kind of a long-winded answer, um, but, but, but I think what we're gonna start seeing is more people demanding you know, more services that aren't just the free coffee in the lobby and the whatever it is, but kind of looking at the actual events and the actual um, creating of community and facilitating of face-to-face -face interactions. I think other factors that are at play here too, um, and also sort of led to my desire to, to create something new, is the lack of civic participation and mm. the drop-off of civic participation and religious participation. So if you cut those out, you know, Rotary and Kiwanis, those memberships are all way down. Um, and especially with younger people. Uh, I was in a Rotary club a few years ago and I was definitely the youngest, amongst the youngest there, you know, and, I, and I'm yeah. not a spring chicken. One of the one of the statistics, actually, I, I think it was in uh, Vanishing Neighbor was looking at, I think it's like, a, it was in like 2015 or something, and they, they did a poll and 90% of Rotary members are over the age of 40, 
right? So it's, it's kind of, you know, and, and, and then as well, you have like re religious civic engagement and all these other engagement things that are going downhill. So there's going to need to be communities that pop up in, in, in place of that. By the way, Putnam was interviewed in the New York Times either first of this week or the last of, or the oh, end of last week about because he was isolated, you know, he, he was so isolated due to COVID and um, he rarely sees any people. He's on Zoom conferences. So it, the, it was humorous and the, the irony was obvious. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. Um, so and, and you're the second person in two weeks that recommended Bowling Alone. Uh, so I'll, I must need to take a look at it. Great read. <laughs> so uh, what else has ignited your passions that you've seen, that you've done? What, what else is on your radar or that you've written about? What else is on your radar that you'd like to talk about? And I'm really, I'm so glad to have you here because not only do you have the research experience, but the, the touring experience and now boots on the ground you know, you, you're really building a, a broad perspective on this. So sure, so glad sure. to have you here. Absolutely, yeah. And I think one of the more interesting kind of um, things that I've been looking at and like I've, I've written a recent article on is kind of looking at this kind of dichotomy or like paradox um, that, that I've kind of noticed over the past year that has kind of popped up in the co-living industry, right? And, and I think maybe it's broader um, to kind of go toward the, the, the shared living experience, right? And so I think there's, there's, there's multiple different ways to kind of um, frame it. The, the way I did my article was looking at community versus scalability, right? Um, I think in one of our uh, previous discussions, we could, you can kind of say it's, oh, it's kind of looking at maybe more housing bodies and just kind of saying, how do we create a literal structure for these folks versus how do we actually engage in a community, right? Um, and, and I think that that's been really, really fascinating as far as looking at um, obviously you do need to have both, right? Like in order to have a community, you have to have the physical building and, and you need to allow it to, to, to be a scalable concept, right? Or else you're only building a community for 10 people, which, why, which while is great, we would love to bring that, you know, um, new way of living in that concept to how about 10,000, right? That, that, that sounds a bit better than 10, right? So I think when you're looking at that, um, it's going to be very interesting to see over the next decade, if we look back in the year 2030 and we say, where did this shared living industry go, right? I, I think there's kind of two, two potential outcomes and we'll probably end up maybe somewhere in the middle. Um, but one is kind of sticking to the guns and the values of shared living. And I, I think a big part of that is looking at community, right? So it's saying, how can we build um, new living environments that, that, are, that are, you know, human centric and, and, and that are focused on creating a better way to live, right? Which sounds fantastic, right? But then as well, if you want to grow this and you want it to be financially sustainable, you also have to have the kind of economic sustainability, which is more looking at kind of growing this as fast as possible, right? And so I think in the industry, some of the bigger players in, in co-living and co-housing, you know, that are trying to grow as fast as possible might kind of tip the scales towards the kind of scalability, right? And just say, okay, how many buildings can we open up in, in the next five years, right? And I think while, while it's ambitious and that might be great for investors, I think you might lose sight of, you know, some of the community aspects and some of the really nailing down how to operate a building in a meaningful way for the residents, right? For the, for the members. Um, and, and, and even, you know, call the people living there members and residents rather than tenants, right? It's, you know, it's, it's things that are as small as that um, that kind of might, 
um, looking at scalability, you might call them, okay, tenants, how many people can we get in versus how many members can we impact, right? And so, um, like I said, it'll, it'll, it'll be interesting to see where the industry goes. I think, you know, a lot of folks like myself, um, you certainly, Mark, a lot of the um, folks at CoLive that I work with um, that are doing some fascinating research on um, how, how shared living models can, you know, impact well-being, how it can impact environmental sustainability. And so I think hopefully we can do enough kind of legwork there um, to where we can kind of keep the scales kind of not just going totally toward sustainability so that we just get, you know, a lot of co-living rooms, but not, not at a higher impact, right? So um, again, it, we'll, we'll, we'll just have to kind of wait and see, but hopefully we can, uh, you know, do a lot of work to, to, to make sure that co-living, co-housing, and shared living in general um, keeps its focus on the community aspect and really the like human-centered nature of creating better housing solutions. How do you think design, the facility design, impacts how much of a community feel it is? And do you think we'll ever get to a point where we go, we've got it. Uh, we know we know how much space we need to devote to. Uh, kitchen area and social area that we we've got it we know uh, so two two parts yeah how important is design and do you think we'll ever find uh, a, even a handful of designs that could be applied across countries and across cultures you have hit on some of the best topics here mark I think uh, I, I actually just wrote a um, wrote an article I guess it was a few months ago looking at spatial design and co-living right and so not, not being an expert myself, I, um, you know, had, had, had a few different architect friends or other kind of folks that I had met um, while networking in the co-living, kind of the co-living global industry. And so I um, interviewed a lot of them and it is a definitive yes that um, interior design and the way that a living space is, is um, spatially designed is extremely important um, to, to achieving any of the goals that you want to achieve for a shared living environment, right? Um, and I think the, the, the second piece is maybe even more interesting. Um, I think that right now we're in this iterative phase, right? We have all of these different operators that are saying current, the like current living solutions aren't working great. So let's create a better one, right? However, the world is also changing very rapidly, right? So I think even if you had someone in 2018, you had a co-living operator that said, we did it. We found the exact bedroom to common area layout and the you know, number of parking spaces and which plant we should put in the living room and everything, right? And, and, and they had it figured out and it was perfect for the people living there. You know, March 2020 rolls around, all, <laughs> all of that has changed, right? And, and, and so I think I, I like heard some, some folks speaking about it on a, in, a, in a recent panel and they were saying part of being a designer is um, designing your space so that, so that it can change and adapt, right? Like if I said, let's design the perfect living space for 2040 today, good luck. I, we have no idea what the world's gonna look like then, right? Um, so I think that we will get to a point where it's saying, hey, for, for this space and time, this is, an, this is an ideal spatial layout, right? Having this number of bedrooms, this number of people, you know, this you know, number of uh, coffee shops or restaurants or whatever it is, this works the best for this place and time. Having said that, you know, as time goes on a decade later, you know, it could completely change, right? And so I think that being able to design our buildings in a way that they can adapt um, to, to the changing needs and wants of people um, over time is, 
something that I obviously have no idea how to do, um, but I think it's important to consider when you're looking at designing your co-living space saying, sure, let's design it perfectly for today. Having said that, in 10 years, certainly in 20 years, it might, uh, the, the people that are living there might have different wants and needs, and how can we think about constantly updating that spatial design and the you know, entire living process to almost be timeless. Um, obviously a very, very tall order, um, but I think something that's certainly worth putting some time into before you um, break ground or kind of draw out any kind of blueprint. And there, even though we're getting to be more alike uh, because of technology and shared media uh, experiences, there still will be cultural differences. So different countries will have different preferences, different, different design principles and that sort of thing. Well, maybe this is a good segue into a discussion about Thrive and some of your thoughts there. One of the things that uh, I'm heartened about, well, first of all, I am glad that we're in the design phase, early design phase, and not in the middle of construction. Um, and, and the irony of promoting co-living in the midst of a pandemic does not escape me and almost everybody I discuss it with, you know, <laughs> has a little chuckle and points it out. Um, but one of the things that I'm heartened about is that our design, and, and for those who are just tuning in, maybe I'll just summarize it a little bit. Um, our, our concept is to build co-living communities from repurposed big box stores or other existing buildings so that we're we're repurposing something that's uh, a dinosaur and they're dying by the dozens, uh, maybe shopping malls, depending on what else is happening within that facility. But primarily we've looked at big box stores uh, that have been orphaned. And whenever a, a Walmart builds a super center, they orphan a regular Walmart, usually right in the same neighborhood and they sit empty for long periods of time. So our concept is to build independent loft condos, imagine just, just a box here, uh, around the perimeter of that box, each having uh, two bedrooms, two baths, their own kitchen, their own laundry facilities, their own bathrooms. So it's, uh, and we're looking at approximately 100 units around the perimeter and some different, uh, some flats, some studios to accommodate different types of folks. Um, and then in the corners of the big box to have community kitchens and activity spaces that would support the people that live in that quadrant. Um, so there would be four of those. And then in the middle of the box to have fitness, entertainment venues, um, some retail, uh, depending on the location of it, artist studios, uh, coffee shops. Uh, so you've got an interior community and sort of reversing what happens with a lot of mixed use buildings where they usually put it on the outside. We want it to be available to the residents on the inside. And then uh, if there's a good demand for retail, bring people in from the outside to come and uh, co-working, uh, actually, we want to combine co-learning and co-working. Uh, I'll just round out the the uh, the rest of the the major pieces. Um, we're big on 
co a co combining co-working with co-learning so that we'd have multi-generations, multi-generational um, uh, facility with people learning together, those who believe in lifelong learning. We do want the facility or the community to be multi-generational. Uh, we're using a limited equity co-op model to uh, bring ownership. We will have some rentals, but mostly an ownership model. We're big on sustainability uh, in terms of environment uh, and also have it so that we're, we're producing some of the things and not just consuming. So I'm really fired up about hydroponics and aquaponics uh, as a way to produce our vegetables, some salad greens and vegetables and our food um, using uh, rainwater capture to capture all the rainwater off of these huge roofs. So those are just some of the aspects. And it's from, from what I hear from our guests and others in the industry, uh, I hear a lot of people saying, pointing out multi or, or intergenerational, multi-generational as sort of a holy grail that a lot of co-living communities wanna get to. And we wanna build that in from the get-go. So anyway, I haven't summarized the concept in many episodes, so thank you for letting me do that. And maybe it'll also be a refresher to you uh, since we've talked several months ago. So give me some of your thoughts and reactions to that and um, uh, let's hash it out a little bit. Yeah, yeah, so I guess my first reaction is, yeah, sign me up to be member number one. I'm ready, I'm ready to move in and go for it, I think. Um, no, like when, when we first had our discussion and you, and, and, and you described your vision for it, I was very, very excited. I, I think, you know, like each, each one of those uh, dimensions is, 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 is obviously a very important part of the future of living, right? And I think being able to potentially combine all of those into one concept is, is fascinating. And I, I think the like vision itself uh, is, is, is awesome. Um, I think there's, there's a lot of aspects that I think uh, there, there's obviously a, a lot to talk about. Um, one of them you mentioned was the multi-generational, um, which I think you're right. It is kind of seen as this kind of holy grail of, of, of co-living or co-housing almost. And I think the main reason um, that it's been difficult for some operators to pull it off is because if you look at the wants and needs of a, you know, single recent college grad, 25, you know, working for their first company, and then you look at the wants and needs of a you know, a suburban family that has, you know, two, two kids. And then you look at the wants and needs of um, a retired couple, kids are out of the house. Obviously, the, the things that they want out of their living solution is going to be very different. Having said that, I think why it's the holy grail is because there's so much value to be had if you can pull off that concept, right? Because a lot of the, um, you know, kind of um, best lessons you'll learn or, um, you know, if you're, if you're younger, there's so much to learn from the older generation. If you're older, you know, being around young people is, 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 is kind of energizing, right? And there's so much to learn from the younger generation as well. And so I think if we can pull that off, man, I, I would be, I mean, I'm, I'm already grinning ear to ear just like thinking about it, but I think being able to do that would add a lot of value. Um, and I think as well, I, I actually recently went on a trip um, to India while I was over in Malaysia um, and actually got to visit one of my friends and their homes. And, you know, there's a lot of cultures that already have, 
you know, three, maybe four generations under the same roof. Um, and just being able to see it firsthand was like, whoa, you know, it was such a foreign concept for me because in the U.S. it's, it's not a very popular kind of, kind of living, living environment, right? And so I think um, being able to see that and, and being able to see the pros of it, um, I think if we can, and if, uh, if Thrive can pull it off, it would be absolutely amazing. Um, and then I think like obviously looking at the shared ownership model, I think that can create a lot of incentives, what I was mentioning earlier for the longer term commitments, the longer term communities, um, as well as kind of ownership in the property, right? So if I'm moving into a new city and I barely meet the landlord and they hand me some keys and they say, don't break anything, you move out in you know 12 months, I don't feel ownership in that community, right? Um, so I think when you start to look at shared ownership models or limited equity um, ownership kind of partnerships that, that you had mentioned, I think it can, it, it can really create that um, ownership, which is an extremely important piece to developing any kind of community, right? Um, and then I guess, yeah, last, last kind of piece, looking at the sustainability and like repurposing these big kind of structures that already exist, um, I think is a great idea, right? So I think a lot of the um, folks in, 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 in co-living and really real estate in general are saying, okay, there's this, you know, big kind of economic crisis. And so there's going to be some distressed assets. And so, you know, maybe it's the Walmart or um, one thing I was thinking about yesterday was movie theaters. You know, I, I, I assume they'll come back. Um, but maybe there won't be as much of a demand, right? With all of these HBO, Netflix, everything else going on and new movies coming out over the internet, I, I, I can watch on this screen right here, you know, maybe the demand for movies will go down. And so obviously some of those are some pretty big box buildings as well. So maybe an idea to, to um, yeah. uh, whiteboard in our next session, who knows? But, um, but yeah, so I, I think overall being able to, you know, create this almost utopian, you know, kind of living society and kind of have everything that's there and you have people from different backgrounds like um absolutely fires me up as it's probably easy to tell um but yeah certainly look forward to keeping up with thrive and um yeah hopefully helping it um be a be a big success you know probably the only major problem with movie theaters is that damn sloping uh, <laughs> true true there'd be some uh, architecture changes you would have yeah. to add yeah sure that's fair <laughs> every everybody would have to be or, or would end up sort of cockeyed uh walking on that floor could be could uh, be <laughs> um so let me test this out if if we find people i, I think they definitely have to be progressive you know and and want want community but if we find people that are interested in sustainability solar energy tesla um and all that goes on there. And I think those cross generational lines, you know, I'm, I'm an old hippie and we certainly were, uh, were thinking about solar created Earth Day. Uh, we weren't just crunching granola and wearing Birkenstocks. <laughs> you know, we were, we were also thinking about these sorts of things and experimenting with these sorts of things. Um, and, I, and I think I could see artists who really uh, have a liberal mindset and want a sense of community. Uh, I, I think younger uh, Z, Generation Zs are looking at millennials and going, I'm not sure I want to skip the house or that I want to rent my clothing that I think I might want to own something. <laughs> right, um, right. So it's the millennials that I'm most in doubt about as far as bringing them in. But there's so many things, you know, and also 
um, people in my age range are living longer, they're active longer, they're engaged longer. So I think if, if you put out a, uh, a call for who wants to go kayaking uh, this Saturday at 2 p.m., that crosses generational lines. So, um, and then part of what I want to do in terms of programming is bring out the passions of each person. And those are different. You know, we have writers who could come. So I, wanna, I want to have uh, a different evening, maybe do programming two, maybe three nights a week so that each person can bring either their passions to talk about it, wine tastings, food demonstrations for those that really like to cook, um, poetry readings. Um, so, and, and encourage people to bring their passions to the community and bring their friends' passions to the community. Um, I, I just, in my, in my gut, I feel like we're a, we would be able to bring people of multiple ages and gays, straight, uh, I think, and I, I think it's the, the spirit of the place in terms of being open, accepting, welcoming, um, come on in and, and, and join us. And also, last thing, um, having openings, I think no, no shorter than a week. I think it will take a week for people being there to come and visit and to have rental units that people can come in and experience it and that that would draw lots of people in, in addition to inviting our friends to do uh, presentations about whatever they're passionate about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Mark. I, and, and I think as well, um, one thing that not not totally walk back, but 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 I think that's something that's a pretty important part of the multi generational piece is a lot of co living you know places that are opening up. They're they're what I would call interest based co living. So it might be, but like all of the folks share some interest in some field, right? So there's, there's some that are kind of hacker houses that are, you're, you have a bunch of startup founders and there's some that are kind of creatives, but, but I think you're right that I think one of the kind of foundational pieces would be, you know, just because of my age or my gender or my religion or where I'm from, certainly there's things that's going to be different about me. However, if you're able to find, you know, kind of one kind of vertical or one kind of strand that says, this is what we all believe in, right? And I think having at least some kind of shared value um, whether that's across sustainability or across being active or a lot of different things, right? Um, and, and obviously those shared values, age doesn't matter at all, right? Because you can have people that are, you know, from whatever generation that are going to be interested in um, whatever that topic might be and then have that shared value. So I think that is the nice thing that a multi-generational has go for it, like has, has going for it, that if you can find that one kind of shared interest, shared value, um, it's kind of off to the races after that. Mm-hmm. The one thing I didn't really follow up on that I started with is the fact that I believe our model could have been just fine during COVID. Um, and we haven't talked much about COVID, but, um, and maybe that's another, uh, another one. Although <laughs> I have instigated COVID-free discussions in certain groups Fair. So we talk about <laughs> everything, but, but because you could just shelter in place. Let's say somebody's working outside in the middle of the COVID uh, heat. If they worked outside of the community, they could just come back in and they don't have to interact with anyone. But there would be those um, uh, tech nomads, um, 
uh, retired people, artists that would that would have a more restricted lifestyle. Almost like a bubble. Yeah. Yep. And and uh, shelter in place mm. and have everything brought in and, and keep each other safe. Got and it. then we'd be able to react uh, to interact with impunity and not worry about it for those that are not going anywhere. Uh, well, last thing I want to share is an exciting location that, and we want to do the first Thrive in the St. Petersburg, Pinellas County area uh, in Florida. Uh, and we do want to, we've got a not-for-profit that overarches uh, all of the developments, and we want to build them in cool, fun cities so that people can move between them and stay in this, rent out your unit or rent just rent units, but like Austin and DC and some fun cities, livable cities. Uh, but I found one uh, that is a block from the Gulf of Mexico. And it's a, uh, a group of cottages that are pre-World War II and they're ready to come down. It's a nice big parcel um, between, in the block between it and the Gulf are uh, three-story units. So by going higher, we could uh, have a total view from the a rooftop garden area and uh, activity area. We'd have a total view of the Gulf, wow. uh, maybe a hundred feet away. And in that rooftop area, I'm envisioning a, a, a circular, not circular, but it would be a rectangular area. And the whole roof could be uh, volleyball. You'd have to have the sides pretty big so that if the ball goes over, <laughs> sure. nets on the side. But volleyball and picnic areas and shelter uh, covered areas um, and, and have all of that available. Maybe even some, um, uh, what are the, the decks that go up that you have multi-levels from the top. Oh, right, okay. Uh, crow's nests, so that people could go up and get a really good bird's eye view. But Super anyway, cool. it was, and there are, some, uh, there are some parcels adjacent to it that have just a little bit of development on it. So it's a pretty, when you combine all of that, it's a pretty big parcel. So, um, and it would, it would mean ground up development, which Craig, um, Scafidi, our uh, realtor, commercial realtor, has been encouraging me to consider, uh, but it would be a totally ground up uh, build. Got so, it, got anyway, it. I'm, I'm it's exciting news. About it. And to be that close to the beach, um, it's uh, about a three minute walk to the Gulf of Mexico. Wow, wow, that's great. So um, let's, as we wrap up here, let's be sure that you give the websites for both of the companies, and uh, if you'll pronounce them, enunciate really well, we'll get them in the show notes too, and also your blog, and anything else that you're enthused about that you want to plug. Yeah, yeah, so uh, the, um, the blog that I've started is called a Co-Living Corner, um, so that's at colivingcorner.com, and then um, the, the operator that I'm working for here in New York um, is Outpost Club, um, and then the um, nonprofit that I'm working with um, is called CoLive. Um, so at CoLive.org, you can find that. And so hopefully we can include all of these uh, links in the bottom. Um, and then the last one is um, Nomos Group. 
Um, so that's the, the, in the co-living investment company that I'm working with. So kind of have spell, a, have a lot of different things that I'm doing, but <laughs> spell how they spell co-live. Is it, uh, yeah, it's co-liv.org. Okay. And then the investment company spelled out. Um, yeah, I, I, I believe it's nomosgroup.com. Um, and then the other one is outpostclub.com um, as well. So that's, that's easy. All right. Um, well, thank you so much. Again, uh, the enthusiasm that you have is, is contagious. Uh, although I don't need much, much from the outside. <laughs> we feed off uh, each other. That's what you want. <laughs> yeah. So thanks so much. And let's continue the conversation. Um, be sure that Thrive and we are on your email list about your, with your articles. You're doing a lot of really interesting research there. And let's keep it going. Thanks Thank you so your, much, Mark. Yes, thanks, thanks for, for having work. me on. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Thrive Co-Living podcast and YouTube broadcast. To discover more about our mission, activities, and how to find us on social media, please check out our website at thrivecolivingcommunities.org. There you can also learn how you can support this creative vision in community co-living. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back soon.